Numbers 23 to 24, and uh, hopefully we are there. Well, over the past two years, I think all of us have become very knowledgeable about viruses and vaccines, right? Now, many of us have read a lot about it. Maybe we're a little tired of it all. Uh, vaccines have been particularly prote- uh, given good or hopefully useful for protecting us from getting the virus or protecting us from getting the virus that badly. Uh, anyways, but for a while, and eventually we, we've come to learn that these vaccines seem to wear out, so we all need boosters, and then once the booster wears out, we need another booster. How many, any, I was going to raise a hand, anyone on the third booster yet? Uh, I, you know, anyways, uh, but anyways, boosters of vaccines, they inevitably over time wear out. It's been true of all vaccines that we have. Every, sometimes we're just used to them being like uh, every couple years, every five years, every 10 years, uh, not every few months. But anyways, uh, it, the, the scientists who are working on these things are, are they're doing their best. And I, hopefully they're, they're going to work on it and get better at it and so that it can give us a more lasting protection. But when it comes to vaccines, uh, the protection that they provide are at best temporary. They're temporary. There comes a point when the protection weakens inevitably, and then we need more protection. When a stronger variant of the virus comes along, it sometimes overcomes or circumvents the protection that's provided by the vaccine, and then we succumb to illness. We, we get COVID. We, we catch the flu. And, and that's uh, just reality. And it's something, it's, in a sense, it's something we learn from uh, this pandemic. And today's passage, though, in, in a very, uh, we take that idea, today's passage answers for Israel the question of whether God's blessing of Israel is like a vaccine or not. Is it something that would last only for a little while and then wear out? Is God's blessing temporary? Over time, does it wear down? Can something or someone or that is somehow a stronger either circumvent or overcome the blessing of God upon his people? And this is important not only for God's people then, but it's important for God's people today because we all continually face trials. We face obstacles. We face enemies, evil forces. Even in our church body, we hear stories of individuals getting, uh, experiencing uh, harm and, and uh, uh, cr- experiencing crime for, at the hands of, of, of evil people. And we may wonder, as those who know that we are blessed in Christ, we may wonder at times whether God's blessing upon us can ever somehow weaken or wear out. Can something in this world somehow overcome or circumvent the blessing of God upon us? And this was important for Israel at that moment to know, and as they waited and camped in the plains of Moab, as they were preparing to enter the promised land, Across from the Jordan River from Jericho, the nation waited for God to lead. They would go into a land where they would face unknown enemies. They had spied them out some 40 years ago. Uh, and even the, if, if they remembered, uh, they were uh, many, many enemies, mighty enemies on the other side. But what they didn't realize, even at this point, as they're camping in the plains of Moab, is that they were not only facing enemies on the other side, but they were facing enemies around them. Enemies in the king of Moab. Enemies in the seer from Mesopotamia. Last time, we looked at chapter 22. We learned of how Balak, the king of Moab, sought and hired Balaam, a renowned seer from Mesopotamia, to come and curse Israel, to somehow weaken 
the blessing of God upon them so that the king of Moab could lead his armies and defeat Israel. Eventually, though, with God's warning to speak only the word which God has him to speak, Balaam goes with Balak. And now in chapters 23 and 24, which we look at today, we read then what Balaam actually pronounces, what he says, what are known as the oracles of Balaam. Will Balak get what he seeks from Balaam? Will Balaam be able to get the money and the riches that he longs for by being able to curse Israel? Will Balaam somehow find a way to circumvent God's warning to him? The answer in our passage is a resounding no. Because when God has blessed, no one can revoke it. And that will be our theme this morning. When God has blessed, no one can revoke it. No one can overcome it. No one can circumvent it. And we're going to see this in four parts this morning as our passage divides into four oracles. Four oracles of Balaam uh, and that encourage God's people with the security of God's blessing. To know that God's promises, God's promised blessings to Israel are secure through, as we'll see, in, in these four oracles of Balaam. So let's take a look at these uh, four oracles. We're just going to go one, two, three, four, read and read the text, and then uh, just talk a little bit about each one. Anyways, the first oracle we find in chapter 23, verses 1 through 12, the first oracle. And I'll read, let me read, first of all, uh, the, the first, first 12 verses here. Actually, I'm going to start with verse 41 of chapter 22. Then it came about in the morning that Balak took Balaam and brought him up to the high places of Baal. And he saw from there a portion of the people. Then Balaam said to Balak, build seven altars for me here and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me here. Balak did just as Balaam had spoken. And Balak and Balaam offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Then Balaam said to Balak, stand beside your burnt offering and I will go. Perhaps the Lord will come to meet me, and whatever he shows me, I will tell you. So he went to a bare hill. Now God met Balaam, and he said to him, I have set up the seven altars, and I have offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. Then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth and said, Return to Balak, and you shall speak thus. So he returned to him, and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering, he and all the leaders of Moab. And actually, I'll stop right there. And just uh, as we just read here in this first oracle, what takes place here actually takes place before, uh, in, uh, at the beginning of each of the next two oracles as well. Balak brings Balaam to a high place, uh, a place uh, that was here was called uh, the high places of Baal. And many times, just like even today, you'll kind of go to different countries. You might, they might take you to some high place, and where you find those high places, you usually find a, a temple or some kind of you know, a monastery or some kind of religious place that is, has some significance because common practice was that the higher you are, it was a spiritual place where the gods, you'd be able to meet the gods or be able to reach the gods more. And so this was true back then and even uh, still reflected in many of the, the temples that exist on high places today. So Balak brings him to this high place where he could then see the people of God, see Israel. He practices and conducts a common divination ritual where animals are sacrificed, seven altars are built, seven pairs of bulls and, uh, and rams are offered on each altar. 
And when the sacrifice was made, then Balaam seeks to divine with the Lord. He, uh, and he doesn't say exactly what he does, but he, perhaps he looks at the entrails of the animals. That was a common thing in those days. Maybe he just goes in, in, uh, kind of in a meditation and seeks to know what God says. And definitely, and in this case, God speaks to him. It tells us, by the way, that his words here indicate that he had hoped that the Lord would somehow respond to his sacrifices and offerings. That I've, we've offered you seven altars, and we've given you a pair, a bull, and a ram on each altar. Please consider this and hear what I have to say and reveal your, your, your word to us. Balaam was still hoping that God would change his mind. Of course, he doesn't know the Lord. He thinks that God is one of those, like uh, any, these false gods that just would change their mind. But then the Lord put a word in Balaam's mouth, and he told, he told him what to say to Balak. And we read the first oracle in verses 7 through 12. He took up his discourse and said, From Aram, Balak has brought me, Moab's king from the mountains of the east. Come curse Jacob for me, and come denounce Israel. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How can I denounce whom the Lord has not denounced? As I see him from the top of the rocks, and I look at him from the hills, behold, a people who dwells apart and will not be reckoned among the nations. Who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? Let me die the death of the upright and let my end be like his. Then Balak said to Balaam, what have you done to me? I took you to curse my enemies, but behold, you have actually blessed them. He replied, must I not be careful to speak what the Lord puts in my mouth? In verse 8, we see here that Balaam starts, states the, the running theme throughout chapters 22 to 24 of God's sovereign control. How shall I curse whom God has not cursed? How shall I denounce whom God has not denounced? Is it basically, he can do nothing. He can't curse anyone whom God has not cursed whom God is, in fact, blessed instead. Recall back in uh, chapter 22, verse 12, God had said to Balaam, you shall not curse the people, for they are blessed. God had blessed Israel. No one could curse Israel as a result. So unable to curse Israel, God uses Balaam instead to bless Israel. The oracle basically affirms God's blessing upon Israel. And though each oracle differs slightly, and we don't have time to go into every, you know, each verse of the various of the oracles, there is a general emphasis in each oracle that stands apart. And in this first oracle that we find here, we see that God, <clears throat> God's past blessing upon Israel is noted. That Israel is blessed in that God has multiplied Israel. God has multiplied Israel. He's, in verse 10, it says, who can count the dust of Jacob or number the fourth part of Israel? This mention of dust recalls for us God's promise to Abraham. You remember? In Genesis 22, verse 17, after Abraham had, had passed that, that test regarding Isaac, his only son, God said to him in Genesis twenty-two seventeen 17, these words, Indeed, I will greatly bless you, and I will greatly multiply your seed as the stars of the heavens and as the sand which is on the seashore, and your seed shall possess the gates of their enemies. God had kept his promise to bless Abraham. God had taken a family of 70 individuals, the family of Jacob and his 12 sons, 
And over 430 years in Egypt, he made that nation, that family of 70, become a nation of 2 million people. Even, even, even Balaam, at the end of this oracle, longs to be blessed as, like Israel. Of course, having heard this blessing that God had, God had, ble- God had multiplied Israel and that he was blessed by Balaam, Balak is quite upset. He's not pleased with Balaam's oracle. He doesn't like it. He didn't, that's not what he has hired him for. So Balaam, and so Balak expresses displeasure, but Balaam reiterates again what it already said in the previous chapter. I must speak what the Lord has me to speak. That even this, uh, this, this, uh, un, this pagan, self-serving, you know, <laughs> seer, he, he, he cannot do anything contrary to what the Lord gives him to speak. But Balak doesn't give up. He doesn't lose hope. He says, oh, well, maybe it's, uh, you know, he's, he's a king, so he has much resources. And he don't become king if you're not resourceful. So he's resourceful. He says, well, maybe, it's a, maybe we need to try it at a different angle. We need to look at it, try this at a different way. There's another strategy we can go. And so he, t- he takes him to a different place, which leads us to our second oracle in chapter 23, verses 13 through 26. Chapter 23, verse 326. That, and we see, we pick up a very similar pattern. We'll see in verse 13 to 17. Then Balak said to him, Please come with me to another place from where you may see them, although you will only see the extreme end of them and will not see all of them, and curse them for me from there. So he took him to the field of Zophim, to the top of Pisgah, and built seven altars and offered a bull and a ram on each altar. And he said to Balak, stand here beside your burnt offering while I myself meet the Lord over there. Then the Lord met Balaam and put a word in his mouth and said, return to Balak and thus you shall speak. He came to him and behold, he was standing beside his burnt offering and the leaders of Moab with him. And Balak said to him, what has the Lord spoken? So we see that it's, the, a, it's another attempt to curse Israel, but Balak tries to do it from a different place, hoping that a different location would somehow circumvent God's blessing. In many days, those people commonly thought that certain places were holy. Not only were high places holy, but maybe one high place was holier than another place, was more accessible to God throughout that other place. Perhaps you could, and, and you notice that he only gets to see a, a certain part of Israel. So he doesn't even want him to bless the nation. He says, well, maybe you can curse the Israel from just a part of Israel, from this extreme part of Israel. That's the strategy, but everything else is the same. Same sacrifices are offered, same divination is sought, and the same response from the Lord is received. And we pick up in verse 18, what is the second oracle? Then he took up his discourse and said, Arise, O Balak, and hear. Give ear to me, O son of Zippor. God is not a man that he should lie nor a son of man, that he should repent. Has he said, and will he not do it? Or has he spoken, and will he not make it good? Behold, I have received a command to bless. When he has blessed, then I cannot revoke it. He has not observed misfortune in Jacob, nor has he seen trouble in Israel. The Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. God brings them out of Egypt. He is for them like the horns of the wild ox. 
For there is no omen against Jacob, nor is there any divination against Israel. At the proper time it shall be said to Jacob and to Israel what God has done. Behold, a people rises like a lioness, and as a lion it lifts itself. It will not lie down until it devours the prey and drinks the blood of the slain. Then Balak said to Balaam, Do not curse them at all, nor bless them at all. But Balaam replied to Balak, Did I not tell you, whatever the Lord speaks, that I must do? All that, a lot is said here, a lot is very significant, stands out, but verse 19 stands out in that it affirms that God is not like a man. Many times when man makes up gods, when man creates, gets creative and says, this is my God, I'm going to make him like this cow, I'm going to make him like this, this, stat, this, uh, this uh, lion or something like that, I'm going to make, he makes often God into the image of man. He makes, even you think about the Greek and Roman gods, all of them are, if, are like human beings. They, they have their own uh, f- uh, faults and, 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 uh, and vanities. But the God of the Bible is not like men and women, that he would lie or that he would ever repent, that he would repent, that is, that he would change his mind. What he says, he would do. And in verse 20 is a key restatement of the theme. When he has blessed, then I cannot revoke it. No one, when God has blessed, no one can revoke it. No one can overrule it, change it, overcome it. And since God has blessed, neither Balaam nor Balak can do anything to change it. And in this second oracle, God's present blessing, in contrast to the past blessing, his present blessing is particularly emphasized. Israel is blessed in that God is with them. He is presently with them. Verse 21, the Lord his God is with him, and the shout of a king is among them. Israel is blessed because they alone, among all the nations of the earth, are blessed in that they have the Lord, the living one true and living God, dwelling in their midst with them. Other nations may be led by sinful, finite human kings, but Israel is led by the Lord, their king. He is mightily for them. That is, he fights for them. He protects them. No omen, no divination can stand against them because God is with them. They will defeat their enemies like lions and lionesses devour their prey. Of course, and this is the oracle, that God is with them. Because God has promised to be so. Predictably, Balak is frustrated once again. He's frustrated, but man, he, he says, What have you done? Don't even bless him. Don't even don't curse him. Don't even bless him. Please stop it. But though he's frustrated, Balak doesn't stop. Uh, Balaam, once again, by the way, reiterates the running theme whatever the Lord speaks, or that I must do, that he, he must speak that which God gives him to speak. So Balak doesn't quit, and he pursues a different oracle. Oh, by the way, that God is with Israel. God is with Israel. That's the second oracle, the emphasis of that God's present blessing with Israel. So Balak resorts to a third attempt, a third, to seek a third oracle, a third place. And we pick this up in verse 27. Then Balak said to Balaam, please, come, I will take you to another place. Perhaps it will be agreeable with God 
that you cursed them for me from there. See, he still doesn't get it. He thinks that it's some place. And we, you know, just, uh, you know, as if, you know, it's on this mountain or that mountain or is it this church building or it's out or at the park as if God is somehow only located in one particular place in this way. God is, is present wherever he wills to be. I will take you to another place for us to be agreeable with God that you curse them for me from there. So Balak took Balaam to the top of Peor, another high place, you see, which overlooks the wasteland. Balaam said to Balak, Build seven altars for me here, and prepare seven bulls and seven rams for me here. Balak did just as Balaam had said, and offered up a bull and a ram on each altar. When Balaam saw that it pleased the Lord to bless Israel, he did not go as at other times to seek omens, but he set his face toward the wilderness. And Balaam lifted up his eyes and saw Israel camping tribe by tribe, and the Spirit of God came upon him. Still hoping that God would somehow be appeased by a different location, Balak brings Balaam to a third location, another high place, as we said. The same sacrifices are offered, but this time Balaam knows that it's, it's pointless to, to practice any divination, to seek divination. He doesn't look at the entrails. He doesn't look for any omens in whatever he was looking at. He already knows, he sees with his eyes that the Lord was pleased to bless Israel. He's, God has already made it clear that he's going to bless Israel. So he says, it's pointless to look at omens. So instead, he looks to the wilderness. He doesn't look to God, he just looks to the wilderness. It's almost like he's trying to scheme or he strategize. We, we don't know exactly why he doesn't look, why he's looking to the wilderness. Perhaps he's trying to come up with his own plan, so he's be able to say something of his own, to come up with his own words that he might be able to at least kind of sound like he's cursing Israel so that he can get some of the the wealth that was promised to him by Balak. But even then, in his own schemes and plans, the Spirit of God cannot be overcome. The Spirit of God comes upon him and, and, and causes him to speak the words of God. It's, uh, and so... Even this uh, pagan seer is overcome by God and, and caused just like caused to speak his word. God can cause a donkey to speak. God can cause a pagan seer to speak. He could cause rocks to rise up and bless his name if he wishes. And then amazing of all, God uses us to even speak for him. But let's read what the, the third oracle of Balaam in verse 3 of chapter 24. He took up his discourse and said, the oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God, who sees the vision of the Almighty, falling down, yet having his eyes uncovered. How fair are your tents, O Jacob, your dwellings, O Israel, like valleys that stretch out, like gardens beside the river, like aloes planted by the Lord, like cedars beside the waters. Water will flow from his buckets, and his seed will be by many waters, and his king shall be higher than Agag, and his kingdom shall be exalted. God brings him out of Egypt. He is for him like the horns of the wild ox. He will devour the nations who are his adversaries, and will crush their bones in pieces, and shatter them with his arrows. He couches, he lies down as a lion, and as a lion, who dares rouse him? Blessed is everyone who blesses you, and cursed is everyone who curses you. God's blessing we see here upon Israel is affirmed one more time. But this time, however, the focus is on God's future blessing of Israel. 
Israel is blessed in that God, we find, will establish a future king and kingdom in Israel. In verse 7, you notice, it says, And his king shall be higher than Agag, his kingdom shall be exalted. It is, and by the way, all this is preceded by this description of the beauty of the nation of Israel. That it's going to be a beautiful place, abundant in waters. It's going to be a magnificent kingdom led by a, a great and almighty king. But keep in mind at this point, God has promised them a king and a kingdom. There is no king in Israel, is there? But yet, it was not a foreign idea to the nation Israel. Back in Genesis chapter 17, verse 6, God had said to Abraham, I have made you I have made you exceedingly fruitful, and I will make nations of you, and kings will come forth from you. See, God had promised to bless Israel, and he blessed and promised to give him a king, to establish his king. God had uh, God reaffirms his promise through the oracle of Balaam. He had promised an exalted king and a kingdom who would come from the nation of Israel who would rise one day and defeat the nation's adversaries. By the way, uh, the, end, the first part of verse 9, that he, couch, he couches, he lies down his line as a lion who dares rouse him, is actually identical uh, restatement of Genesis 49, verse 9, where Jacob prophesies that a king would come from the tribe of Judah. Of course, a, a prophecy of a future king that would destroy Israel's enemies was, was not well received by this king who was seeking to destroy Israel. And so we can see verse 10 and 13, this is the resp- final response of Balak here. Then Balak's anger burned against Balaam, and he struck his hands together. He clapped them together, I guess. And Balak said to Balaam, I called you to curse my enemies, but behold, you have persisted in blessing them these three times. Therefore, flee to your place now. I said I would honor you greatly, but behold, the Lord has held you back from honor. Balaam said to Balak, did I not tell you your messengers whom you had sent to me, saying, though Balak were to give me his house full of silver and gold, I could not do anything contrary to the command of the Lord, either good or bad of my own accord. What the Lord speaks, that I will speak. Once more, Balaam again states that he can only speak what the Lord speaks. Though Balak has had enough, he says, you better get out of here. He's, he'll probably, he, he's angry. He's, he's, he'll, he'll kill Balaam, Balaam if he wishes. But though Balak has had enough of Balaam's oracles, God was not done in speaking. And so, in Balak's final word, Balaam's final words, we see a f- fourth and final oracle from God. A fourth oracle, and this is uh, all the way from 14, chapter 24, verse 14 through 25. Balaam says, And now, behold, I am going to my people. Come, and I will advise you what this people will do to your people in the days to come. He took up his discourse and said, The oracle of Balaam, the son of Beor, and the oracle of the man whose eye is open, the oracle of him who hears the words of God and knows the knowledge of the Most High, who sees the vision of the Almighty falling down, yet having his eyes uncovered. I see him, 
but not now. I behold him, but not near. A star shall come forth from Jacob. A scepter shall rise from Israel and shall crush through the foreheads of Moab and tear down all the sons of Sheth. Edom shall be a possession. Seir, its enemies, also will be a possession, while Israel performs valiantly. One from Jacob shall have dominion and will destroy the remnant from the city. And he looked at Amalek and took up his discourse and said, Amalek was the first of the nations, but his end shall be destruction. And he looked at the Kenite and took up his discourse and said, Your dwelling place is enduring and your nest is set in the cliff. Nevertheless, Cain will be consumed. How long will Asher keep you a captive? Then he took up his discourse and said, Alas, who can live except God has ordained it? But ships shall come from the coast of Kittim, and they shall afflict Ashur, and will afflict Eber, so they also will come to destruction. Then Balaam arose and departed and returned to his place, and Balak also went his way. As we read these, this fine fourth and final oracle, it is primarily a list of enemy nations of Israel that God is going to destroy the nation of Moab, Edom, Amalek, the Kenites, even Assyria. But all of them, not only will God destroy, but even it seems that even Israel will come to some destruction, will afflict Eber. Eber in verse 24 is going to be afflicted in some way. Ultimately, the principle, what we see here is that who can live except God has ordained it in verse 23. That none of these nations basically can exist, can do have any power, can they live or last unless the Lord has ordained it. God is sovereign over the nations. In fact, we remember when we went through Isaiah, there was a whole long, many chapters where God was just pronouncing judgment upon nation, upon nation, upon nation. All the nations of the earth may rise up against the Lord, but God will judge them all who oppose him. For none can live except God has ordained it. Now, Having said that, that's, that's the main kind of the running, uh, major kind of running theme from, of this fourth oracle. But the most significant kind of point in this, in this oracle is verse 17 from a, from a Christological standpoint. It says, a star shall come forth from Jacob, a scepter shall rise from Israel. You may remember that in the previous oracle, Balaam had prophesied of a future king, a likely reference to David and his, his, uh, his descendants after him. But here the prophecy seems to advance far into the future. I see him, but not now. I behold him, but not near. He's looking further ahead to a future king, a future star that will come from Jacob, a scepter that will come out of Israel. The star is most likely then a reference to Jesus Christ himself. In fact, in Revelation 22, verse 16, Jesus calls himself the root and descendant of David, the bright morning star. His birth even was marked by the appearing of a star overhead in the skies in Bethlehem. But what's more, the reference to Septa here recalls Jacob's prophecy regarding Ju- of Judah in, back in Genesis 49. We kind of alluded to verse 9 earlier of Genesis 49. I want to show you verse 49, and oh, by the way, the fourth oracle is God will destroy Israel's enemies. 49 verse 10, 
Jacob says of Judah, the scepter shall not depart from Judah, nor the ruler's staff from between his feet until Shiloh comes, and to him shall be the obedience of the peoples. Until Shiloh comes, that word Shiloh is understood to be a reference to the Messiah. That when the Messiah comes, the peoples of the earth will obey this, this ruler from Judah who will hold a scepter. All the enemies, all the peoples of the earth will obey this one king that comes from the line of Judah or be destroyed. And so God's blessing, we understand then, is upon Israel, is seen and will be seen in the coming of this messianic king, this Shiloh, to whom all the nations will either obey in submission, or be destroyed, as we read in the fourth oracle, at the hands of this king. At his first coming, we all know that, this, that Messiah came to die for sinners. But at his second coming, he will come to destroy sinners. In Christ, God fulfills his promise to bless all the families of the earth, as he, said to, as he promised to Abraham. And so this ends the oracles of Balaam. The promise of God's, the reaffirmation of God's blessing upon the nation of Israel, that when God is blessed, none can revoke it. God has shown his blessing upon Israel by multiplying the nation. He's shown, he shows his blessing upon Israel by being with the nation of Israel. And he, promise, and he shows his blessing upon Israel by promising them a, a king whom he would establish among them in Israel. And he promised, shows his blessing by a, a far future king who would come destroy all the enemies, all the nations who rise in opposition to Israel, to God's people. Well, as we conclude then, understanding the, the context of this passage is key to interpreting it correctly. What takes place in the high places of Moab between Balak, the king of Moab, and Balaam, the seer of the gods, is not, note, is not witnessed by anyone in Israel. Think about that. Is not witnessed by Moses, is not witnessed by the spies, is not witnessed by any Israelite. They could not be there. They're, in, they're camped in the plains of Moab. It is only by the inspiration of the Holy Spirit that Moses is somehow given the record from God, this word from God, that he writes down while they're waiting in the plains of Moab, while they're preparing to enter the promised land. In that God, the fact that God gives this revelation to Moses indicates that God wants his people to know what he has done for them in the plains of Moab. He records it down, and Moses records it down, so that Israel on the cusp of entering the promised land, might know for certain that they are blessed of God. And when God has blessed, none can revoke it. All that has been, is, and will be in Israel is because of God's promised blessing upon them. In this story, they learn that God has blessed them. And neither powerful kings nor renowned seers can overcome or circumvent God's blessing, no matter what they try, no matter what more powerful foes they may face as they enter the promised land, Israel would know for certain the security that they have in their God who dwelt among them and fought for them. They would look forward to the the coming king who would defeat all their foes and give them peace. And that God of Israel in the plains of Moab, 
has not changed. He is still the same today and forever. The God of Israel in the plains of Moab is the same God of the church in San Francisco today. And he has blessed us in Christ Jesus. And none can revoke it. Your eternal security is sure because God has promised it so. All his promises, every promise he has made to us in Christ is secure. You just go open up your Bible and then you will see the the sure promises of God. He who has believed in his son will not perish but have eternal life. There is now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. He will be with you till the end, always to the end of the age. The root and descendant of David, the bright morning star, is coming quickly. These promises and more, 10,000 more, are ours because God has blessed us in Christ Jesus. And let us, as the people of God today, keep trusting in God, a faithful God, come what may. Whatever enemies, obstacles, trials ahead that we must endure, may we keep trusting in the Lord until he brings us to our home with him. I'll leave you with a couple questions just for your discussion and um, thoughts and meditation. Just think about what potential threats and dangers are causing you distress today. Second question, how does knowing that God has blessed you help you face your fears and worries? And what promises of God can you hold on to and trust for the journey ahead? Being blessed of God does not mean that we don't face obstacles and trials. Israel faced many ahead. But knowing that God has blessed us gives us that security, gives us a strength, gives us wisdom, gives us the grace we need as we walk with him in this journey. And God who has blessed us will keep his promises and we can trust in him. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you, Lord, for your word. Thank you for your promises. Thank you for this, rev- this record of the oracles of Balaam, which apart from you, none of us would ever have known. But Lord, we thank you that for this insight and glimpse into what you are do what you do in, in and around the world even apart from our own knowledge and you're still doing this today lord the evil forces of our world that work against your people are still in your control still cannot overcome nor circumvent your blessings upon your people and father we look forward to your continued faithfulness to to your promises to bless your church. Help us to look to you, to look to your word, to hold on to your promises, knowing, God, that you are faithful. And as you strengthen Israel, will you strengthen your church as we wander in this wilderness until you bring us home to be with you. Encourage your people through your word this morning. Strengthen us for what is ahead. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.